Welcome to Alaska's Native Voice. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. The COVID-19 pandemic has changed the way people around the world are communicating, working, and gathering. Since March, many tribal events and conferences have been postponed or canceled. Others have moved to virtual platforms, which is the case for the 2020 First Alaskans Elders and Youth Conference and the Alaska Federation of Natives Annual Convention. This week, elders and youth were able to connect virtually to talk about decision-making for individuals, their families, and communities. They also looked at how to continue making positive changes with a path forward even during these difficult times, while celebrating indigenous languages, cultures, and identity. Grassroots groups are also continuing to advocate for Alaska Native people. All of this next on Alaska's Native Voice. Reporting from the 2020 Alaska Federation of Natives Convention in Anchorage, Alaska, I'm Alice Kanik Glenn. At a time in Alaska that's often called Native New Year, this year's Alaska Federation of Natives Convention has a vastly different feel. Amid the coronavirus pandemic, both Elders and Youth Conference and AFN are virtual this year. The decision largely protects a vulnerable population from undue risk of COVID-19, a topic that reverberated through much of Elders and Youth. During his keynote address, Gwich'in Elder and traditional chief Trimble Gilbert talked about growing up and being surrounded by healthy elders. I remember that I grew up with the people, there's no sickness. Even 90 years old, little over 90, they can walk miles and miles. They pack water for themselves, collecting woods. What a good life they have, I remember Coronavirus has changed a lot about how many of us interact with the world, but Trimble hoped that young people knew how important they are. I hope young people listen to me when you go home, and a lot of them in the city. We need you for the future. Make sure to take care of yourself. Wash your hands. Someday, hopefully, we might get together again, and to talk to each other face to face. Carla Booth is the Indigenous Leadership Continuum Director for First Alaskans Institute. During the closing segments on Wednesday, she reiterated how important it was to be able to share elders and youth's virtual space with elders. Just how important it is to make time to be with elders, really underlying the importance of making space, making time, to call our elders, to sit on the phone with them, or uh, teach them how to use, uh, you know, the the video conferencing tools that we have today, and just really be present and listen to the stories and the memories that they have to share. Uh, I think it was so special that we got to be in the homes of our elders. Elders and youth wrapped up with a day of roundtable discussions, various house meetings, and voting on resolutions crafted by attendees. Last year, participants at Elders and Youth watched as one of their resolutions was brought forward before the Alaska Federation of Natives Convention, and two young advocates urged the delegation to declare a climate emergency, making national news. This year, the resolutions included urging the Alaska legislator to make the House Tribal Affairs Committee a standing committee as well as another resolution that seeks to make gay panic defense illegal in Alaska. Meanwhile, as elders and youth wrapped up for the day, many Alaskans are turning to the biggest stage of Alaska Native issues and policies in the state, 
the Alaska Federation of Natives Convention. Nicole Baromio is the Executive Vice President and General Counsel for the Alaska Federation of Natives. We're really missing that element of gathering together in person, which makes our convention so special. And we're trying as best we can to capture that magic and bottle it and bring it to our virtual platform. She says the convention had to adapt because of COVID-19. Baromeo says AFN has worked closely to ensure Alaska is counted accurately in the 2020 census and has dovetailed some of its efforts in advocating for voter awareness as well. Both will be topics of conversation over the course of the convention. Delegates will also determine who will become AFN co-chair and hold the seat currently held by Will Mayo, who is not seeking re-election. See Alaska Corporation Chair Joe Nelson and former Coeric CEO and President Loretta Bullard are each seeking the co-chair position. Delegates will vote electronically to decide the winner. Voting is open through noon Friday. We're very thankful for all of our members who have reached out and who have encouraged us to hold convention and that have already registered and some of whom which have already returned their ballots for voting for the co-chairs. So we do appreciate um, all of the organizations and individuals that make up AFN. Special thanks to KNBA's Trip Krause and Wesley Early from KOTZ for contributing to this report. In Anchorage, I'm Alice Penny-Glenn. The AFN Newscast is produced by KNBA and Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation. Support provided by the Siri Foundation, Cook Inlet Lending Center, South Central Foundation, Chalista Corporation, Manilik Association, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid, and Rasmussen Foundation. This is a production of KMBA, Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation, and Native Voice One, the Native American radio service. This is Alaska's Native Voice. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. COVID-19 is changing the way people are getting an education, conducting business, and hosting events. Yet, life continues amid the pandemic. Alaska Native elders and young people are among those talking about some of the challenges they're facing now and how they're relying on their families, communities, and cultural teachings to get through difficult times. The first Alaskans Elders and Youth Conference was reimagined this year with a virtual gathering. Keynote speakers, workshops, and community halls all went online. The annual statewide Elders and Youth Conference brings together people to learn from one another and pass on knowledge while celebrating Alaska Native culture, language, and identity. Youth leadership, higher education, hunting and fishing, climate change, and many other issues are among topics of discussion. Here's Carla Booth with First Alaskans Institute, sharing some key values and the importance of the Elders and Youth Conference. Hello, I am Carla Booth. I am Sintian of the Raven Clan, and my family comes from Metlakatla, so I live in Anchorage. Um, I'm the director for our Indigenous Leadership Continuum at the First Alaskans Institute. And let's talk a little bit about this year's uh, First Alaskans Elders and Youth Conference, which is uh, which was held virtually this year due to COVID-19 health and safety concerns. This year's theme was We Are Making a Good Path, what does that mean and symbolize as we're in a global pandemic? A systemic apuchiluta that's presented in the Sukhstun language, and it also translates to 
Asiskanuk Apuliluta um, in the Aleutic language. Um, and please forgive me if I uh, uh, make mistakes in um, sharing those two translations of our theme. I am not a Sukhsun or Aleutic um, speaker, but I, I sure want to try. We are making a good path means to us that physically in our real world today and symbolically in life, um, we are making the right decisions. We are on a good path. Um, I think this theme is an example of our responsibility to protect and advance our communities and our people. Um, you know, through this time of COVID and also through this racial justice transformation that we're all experiencing. And normally the annual gathering is held in person and elders and youth from across Alaska get together and learn from one another face to face. What do you hope attendees learn virtually and that they're able to share with their friends, with their families and communities? So the whole purpose of, you know, our our split elders and youth conference is that we're supporting the transference, transference of traditional knowledge between our generations. And I certainly hope that our participants this year understand that this type of learning and transference can still take place in the virtual world. It can happen over the phone. It can happen over the chat. It can happen over videos. And it can happen you know, through our video conferencing. What are some of the challenge, challenges elders and youth have shared with you or that you've seen or heard um, them face during the pandemic? We've heard um, elders and youth share that it definitely has been a challenge dealing with loneliness that sometimes happens in isolation when we're all kind of keeping to our ourselves in our homes to help prevent the spread of COVID-19. Uh, we also heard a lot from our youth that they felt their schooling was very challenging. A lot of them had to participate in Zoom meetings, and they found it to be uh, boring. And they found it um, they found that they were really hungry for uh, engaging with classmates in person. And so the conference will help maybe fill some of those gaps for both elders and youth, especially being able to connect. I would hope, too, that this conference will also instill the sense of responsibility that is needed for all of us to intentionally engage in our learning. Um, I understand that this virtual learning is not ideal, but this is the best that we have today. And so we, we, we do have the responsibility to make the best of it and um, still try to learn new knowledge and retain it and use it to make good things happen for our people. Uh, we're all responsible for our communities, our cultures, our people forward. We can do that still, even in this, this virtual setting. Why are Native, in particular, Alaska Native ways of teaching and passing on knowledge key in the way of life, especially today? In short, you know, we put the power of our culture in the center and we wrap our elders, youth, and our other participants in the, in the collective love and nurturing environment that they deserve. Um, this sense of belonging and identity is just so vital to wellness and confidence in ourselves and in who we are. 
I think, you know, having a, a strong sense of who you are just adds to your success in life as well as the success of your people. And it's just so important that we continue to center our cultures, center our traditional knowledge and our values in everything that we do moving forward. And there's also a lot of focus on youth leadership. And what are some of the ways you're seeing youth, even during these challenging times, step up? I've heard a variety of ways that youth have stepped up to help out. And some of those ways include helping their siblings in the home, um, helping siblings, you know, just navigate their own learning online, but then also helping the parents by, you know, dressing and feeding siblings. I've heard stories of some youth um, going out to pick berries and gather food for elders that are at home or maybe unable to um, leave their homes. Some youth are making phone calls to elders and family that are immune compromised and worried about contacting the virus. Uh, Other youth are helping to create care packages to deliver to people in their community. Other youth are helping plan and prepare culture camps uh, throughout the summer and fall to make sure that our traditional knowledge is taught to other youth. And, you know, these culture camps are just so special to our communities that it's, it's wonderful that they can continue. And as the pandemic continues, the wisdom of elders and, of course, indigenous knowledge and culture have long been sources of strength and even the work we're seeing that you mentioned from the young people showing the resilience of indigenous people. So what's your message of encouragement or something that you've heard from elders that you'd like to share? Um, As we move forward, I think the uh, helpful reminder that I heard from an elder was keep yourself safe so elders don't have to worry about you. Um, I think that's a really good reminder that we need to continue to wash our hands, continue to wear uh, masks when we go out, continue to limit how much interaction we are having with the public, and just ensure that we're making the best decisions that we can to keep ourselves uh, safe and that we're not adding to the spread of of COVID-19. And I think other words of encouragement are outreach to others. Try to make connections to others. Don't hesitate to make a phone call to somebody that you haven't spoken to in a long time. Um, I know that I finally uh, called an elder that I haven't spoken to in quite a while, and I was really worried that she was going to scold me for not calling her sooner. Um, But instead, she shared a lot of gratitude and excitement for hearing my voice and just was very appreciative that I thought of her during this time. So I think for me, that was the best reminder that we can't hesitate to call our loved ones, even if we haven't spoken to them in a long time. Well, thank you so much for taking some time out and happy Elders and Youth Conference 2020. Thank you. That was Carla Booth with First Alaskans Institute talking about the transference of knowledge virtually this year during the organization's 37th annual Elders and Youth Conference. 
Grassroots movements are an important part of advocating and drawing public awareness on key Alaska Native issues and to call on policymakers for change. As COVID-19 hinders in-person meetings and gatherings, that's not stopping the work of grassroots groups dedicated to making Alaska Native people front and center with cultural sensitivity and highlighting many tough issues to the attention of tribal, local, state, and national political leaders. Missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls, voting, the U.S. Census, and many other areas of concern are on the list for Native people's action. Power is with the people. The group was formed a couple years ago to provide Alaska Native communities and traditional values with a voice of policymaking by taking a stand, working together, and mobilizing action. COVID-19 has presented many challenges, but the work of grassroots groups, who are often the people on the ground advocating firsthand, continues amid the pandemic. Kimber Kloster, I am the Executive Director of Native People's Action. I am originally from Wrangell and Juneau, although I currently live here at the Nina Lands and Anchorage. How are some of the ways that Native People's Action has continued to advocate for causes during the pandemic? You know, I think like a lot of people, we're just working on being creative, and it's really opened up a lot of different opportunities for us in being able to do statewide outreach. I know a lot of us are probably getting you know, zoomed out at this time, but it does, we are offering a lot of our different events virtually. And so um, we've had all wellness events online. So we've had a really good chance to connect with people all across the state. Um, we've held events like the self-defense classes online. Our Indigenous women's gatherings have gone online. So we try to make sure that we're making it accessible, and like I said, it's also now an opportunity where we can be able to do things and connect with people across the state. So, you know, it's really tough during the pandemic. You know, we all want to see each other, but I know we have to keep each other safe, and that's a priority right now. Um, but I really do think that, the, you know, the silver lining for this is being able to connect with our friends and family across the state. And I think it's going to change the way that we go forward. We're looking forward to having in-person events again. But I also do think we've really restructured things with our, our organization to make sure that they're going to be more accessible to people across the state. And that's something that I would like to keep going. And what are some, some of the challenges that you've heard from community members, um, even there in Anchorage or anywhere else across the state, when it comes to what they're facing during the pandemic? You know, as a mom, I've got two kids, and I think trying to balance out work and our kids from home and having, you know, my daughter's five, and so she's doing kindergarten Zoom classes. Um, I have an almost one-year-old, and so I think trying to balance out our family life with our work life and always being home, um, I think that's something that I hear from a lot of people on how we just work on balancing that. And, um, you know, we're in meetings all the time now where we're seeing people's families, their dogs, their kids. And in a meeting the other day, it says, you know, don't apologize for that. You know, don't apologize for having your kids come up. And it's just, it's a new norm. And, you know, I think that's something that's always been great about the Native community. We've always wanted to bring, we always bring our kids into our meetings and our events. And that's, you know, just been heightened now where they're always there, where I think that is so important. 
Um, and also getting to this place of not apologizing, but making sure that we're welcoming, welcoming our families in. And so that's, um, you know, those are some challenges that I think that we're all facing. It's challenging of not seeing our loved ones. Um, you know, we, I've done something for our families. We actually, I started, um, standing around those Alexa devices where you can see people because my grandmother, she's, almost 92 and and used to seeing her all the time and it's really tough not being able to see her so we now call each other on Alexa so my son and daughter also get to interact with her and you know it's just about being creative being there for each other and just really focusing on wellness and talking to one another so I think that's something really important that we need to be prioritizing right now. And Native People's Action works on a lot of different issues involving the community. Let's talk a little bit about the census and why that was important to encourage people to complete the 2020 census. Yeah, the census is so important. And, you know, sometimes we struggle a little bit with um, really making it something that's interesting, because I know sometimes that can be a boring topic to talk about. But the census really sets us up for what for the next 10 years and what it does is it it has a lot of influence on what our redistricting lines look like and that's for the people that are going to represent you um in like the state legislature so it has a lot of effect on our representation um during the last census which impacts redistricting you know we were losing numbers um of people across the state which means some areas were losing representation um, and for the Native community, we lost a couple different seats. And so that's a really big impact when people are in Juno and advocating on our behalf. And we need to have, you know, equal representation. That's something that we're lacking right now in our state legislature. Other things it does is it brings in funding. So we need to have the most complete count because that just loses out on a lot of funding if we don't have our complete count. Um, it sets up funding for, you know, roads, schools, it just it just has such a huge impact, and that's why, you know, we really pushed along with many other organizations um, to get a complete count of Alaska. And then there's raising awareness and calling for justice of missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls, um, part of your group's work. Can you share some ways that this is being addressed and the importance of healing when it comes to this issue? Yes, most definitely. This is... I call this our heart work, um, healing and wellness, justice, and it's really tough, and we do it together in partnership with, you know, a lot of other organizations, and we get together on actually a weekly basis with the Alaska Native Women Resource Center and Native Movement, and we reach out to others as well on how we can really work together to promote healing and wellness, but also looking at policy changes that need to happen in order to be um, protecting our Alaska Native women. And so some of those things that we're looking at is we do advocacy to both the federal and state legislatures to get in some specific policies. And that would be looking at, you know, our, our Department of Public Safety is making sure that they're prioritizing and putting funding toward um, cold case investigations, making sure that we have specific people within the department that are focused on MMIWC cases. 
We also want funding resources to be able to go to Department of Law and other departments to ensure that this is really becoming a priority for our state. In addition, we know that healing really has to happen and it needs to happen simultaneously. So we do, we've hosted a number of different um, healing circles, drum circles, and just events to really be together, uplift, and remember, and to be there for each other. And during this time, you know, it's not something that we do in person, but we are trying to do different events that we can host um, online. And right now we're we will be hosting our virtual run, our virtual 5K run for missing and murdered Indigenous women. We also are doing other things like self-defense classes online. Um, we're just doing a lot of outreach in different ways that we can to really um, uplift our community. And we also really work on the data front as well. We know that data is something that's been missing and it hasn't been prioritized. And so that is another area that we are really focused on to making sure that we can get the correct data and that will also help help us move together policies. And we do a lot of outreach as well to Department of Public Safety, to our police forces, and trying to build those relationships and be there and work together on things that they need to be able to change within their department, whether that's cultural training that we're working on um, also helping them and being an advocate for getting them maybe additional resources that they need in order to address some MMIWC cases. So we want to be in partnership with our communities, with our tribes, and address the many different issues that are going on around this crisis. So even in the pandemic, this work does not stop, and we'll, we continue to do this. Um, we do this together in partnership. and. You know, I just want to say that if there are people that have ideas, people that need healing or just want to connect, um, we're here and we want to work with you and we want to bring our community together. So please reach out to us. And right now there's a lot of momentum around voting and getting out the native vote and not just for the um, U.S. presidential election, but um your group recently released endorsements, which can be found online. But talk a little bit about why voting is key for Alaska Native people. This has been a topic that I've talked a lot about, you know, over the years, um, because I just think voting is so incredibly important. And we really push to have 100% voter turnout, especially in our Indigenous communities. And you're your vote is, is your voice. It's your power. We are voting to elect people to represent us in, in policy. So in the state legislature or, you know, in your municipal government or, you know, on the federal or U.S. Senate races and president. And we want to, and for us, you know, we did, we sent out questionnaires and we did our candidate endorsements and we really talk about our values of Native people and who are going to share our values and stand up for things like tribal sovereignty and working with our tribes and putting wellness, you know, within our policies and, and holding them accountable. 
And so I think that that's so important to know when, you know, make sure to, you know, research candidates, talk to them, reach out and understand where they're at because they're, we're sending them to Juno or to DC to represent us. And so your vote is just so incredibly powerful. And there have been times where people have really felt kind of disenfranchised or not, not feeling like their vote matters. And when we're not voting, we're allowing other people to make those decisions for us. And there's been, you know, many races in Alaska. I can give many different examples where races have been tied or won by one vote or five votes. So your vote, it really does matter and it really does count. So I would just encourage everyone to, you know, to go out, research the candidates on your ballot, um, Native People's Action. If you go to our website, we have an election center, and there you can look up the candidates that are going to be on your ballot. You can research um, the ballot initiative. You can also look at the Division of Elections website. Um, soon they'll be publishing an election pamphlet. So we want to give information about all the candidates, too, so you know and can research who you'd want to be voting for. Um, and researching what's on your ballot. So please um, check out our election center, nativepeoplesaction.org, and you can go through there and do your research. We also have a toolkit that is on our NPA Community Fund website. And on there, we'll have a toolkit, which will tell you a lot of um, information about voting, how to vote, and you can share that with your community as well. And anyone that wants to really just understand um, the voting process you can also fill out an absentee ballot application. So if you want to vote safely from home, um, you can do that and the ballot will be mailed to you. That's Kendra Kloster with Native People's Action. You're listening to Alaska's Native Voice. Welcome back to Alaska's Native Voice. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Grassroots groups often help organize and mobilize Alaska Native people and communities to address some of the top concerns of today. Whether that's advocating for hunting and fishing rights, seeking justice for missing and murdered loved ones, or joining calls to end violence and racism in their communities. One of the groups working directly with the community is Native People's Action. Kendra Kloster, executive director, touches on the importance of their work. I really want to take to heart and want to do outreach is learning from our communities first on what are the priority issues that are happening and how can we be a partner. And so that's that's something that I really think a lot about when we're doing our grassroots movements, when we are 
you know, advocating for specific issues is I really want to hear from communities, from people to know what is going on. And that helps direct our work as well. Um, you know, a lot of things that we've been hearing about is, you know, public safety concerns. And so we, you know, prioritize some of the things when we do advocacy about getting, you know, public safety across Alaska, but also making sure that when we're making those changes and we are pushing for those changes, that our state governments and municipal governments are working with our tribes and working with the communities directly and having the approach of doing what's best for that community. Because, you know, public safety or really anything is going to look different in each region, in each community. And so I think that that's something that's really important. Um, so I would encourage people to, you know, to reach out to us, let us know how we can be helpful. Um, and going forward, I just, I just want to, you know, really focus on our wellness and being there for people um, and connecting. And I know in this time of the pandemic, it's, you know, it's difficult um, where we can reach out to each other with our friends and our family. And I'm looking forward to getting everyone together again. You know, but this time it's about keeping each other safe, keeping our elders safe. And, you know, once again, we will soon be together. But um, in this time, just know that we're still out there. We're still doing the work. We're still here. And we'll be pushing for, you know, representing our communities, you know, uplifting our tribe, uplifting our people, and fighting for things like our hunting and fishing rights. This is something that's just been, there's so many different examples out there right now where our, our hunting and fishing rights are being infringed on. You know, we have a governor right now that is doing the federal subsistence board for allowing um, communities and tribes to be doing additional hunting during the pandemic. And to me, this is just wrong and so we need to ensure that we are being able to live our traditional way of life and our fight right now does not stop and we will not stop advocating um, even during this pandemic so we um, are doing as much as we can and again we would love to hear from communities and partner and continue our work. Thank you so much for taking some time out to talk about um, the work of Native Peoples Action and and a little bit about some of the issues. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. And I just, you know, again, I encourage everyone to get out and vote. Um, look up our information on our website. You can read more about the things that we do. I feel like I could probably talk a long time. <laughs> we have a lot of different projects and different things that we do. So please um, check out our website. If you have any questions, um, reach out to me. Or if you have ideas on things that we can partner on, I'm just letting folks know that we're um, we're here, we're available, and look forward to hearing hearing, and hope that everyone is being safe and healthy. That was Kendra Kloster with Native Peoples Action. In 2019, the Alaska Federation of Natives declared a climate change emergency. The declaration came out of a resolution penned by two teenagers during the 2019 Elders and Youth Conference, and it was not without controversy. 
For more than an hour, the authors of the resolution argued against older generations' concerns that acknowledging the impact of climate change could further risk the ability to subsistence hunt and fish and could threaten jobs tied to natural resource industries like oil extraction and mining. Less than months later, Alaska's wealthiest Alaska Native Corporation, Arctic Slope Regional, ended membership with AFN, citing a lack of alignment on geography and interests. Disagreements on climate change between AFN and the corporation have been made clear in the past. The resolution also called on the Alaska Federation of Natives to establish a climate change task force. That has not happened yet. Producer Emily Schwing caught up with the authors of the resolution to find out more about what's happened since last year. Um, I'm Mana Ash Peter. I'm 16. I'm Netsegwichin, Navajo, and Jewish. Kwana Rose Chasing Horse Potts. I'm 18. I am Ogallala Lakota Sioux and Hambuchin. I wanted to talk to you guys today about um, the climate change resolution at Elders and Youth, and I wanted to just get an update from you guys on what has happened in the last year. Well, not a lot has happened, not nearly as much, I think, that like we wanted to have happened um has come from AFN we wrote them a letter earlier mm-hmm. this year just sort of asking them to keep us updated putting ourselves out there asking them to put us on the task force even and, and just kind of stating you know we want to make sure they're they are doing something like there's action you know mm-hmm. and I feel like um being so young and doing this kind of thing, not a lot of people realize like that we're serious about it. <laughs> um, and, you know, we are willing to be on the task force. We are willing to help in any way um, that, but we just want something to be done. Um, it kind of is tricky because of COVID, but I feel like there could have been, you know, a lot more done. <laughs> um, we were hoping for a lot more done, but I don't know. Um, I don't really, what did they, what was the response? Um, they responded with, um, oh, thank you for reaching out, you know, just the, that part and that they would keep us updated and that they didn't have, they didn't have it all figured out yet and it was going to be really difficult for them or it was going to take time. And I feel like, well, it was kind of a, we were expecting more of a response, but what I think they remember well, I remember them saying is that um, they were going to look more into, they weren't quite familiar with like the climate crisis because, you know, we had so many oil industries um, and stuff. Um, and a lot of our corporations pulled out of AFN because of the resolution and how we didn't um, want the oil industry to, you know, corrupt what we had made or what we had started. And so um, I think it was hard for them to actually learn about the crisis and how serious it is, especially for us. And I don't think they really realized that, you know, this is like a serious issue because they have been supported and um, funded by these corporations that were for drilling. And I think they're learning but um, in that process, they should have, you know, at least reached out to people that, um, you know, could p- 
possibly do more. I mean, like, you know, hire a task force um, of people that are, you know, familiar with it and know the issue well. Um, and that has not been done yet. And so, you know, we're being as patient as we can, but it's it's been a while. <laughs> yeah, it's been a year. Yeah. And like also it's also about the fact that even if they do sort of I guess take a while or they don't get the task force right away it's not like the task force is defining quantitative work on trying to protect the arctic in our homeland because that's all moving forward so fast how Trump opened up the refuge for drilling and it was just everything just got so busy again and we're we're not we're still doing other stuff other than just the resolution and keeping up to date on that because that obviously isn't going as as paced as we wanted it to be um so um establishing a task force was part of the resolution right yes did the resolution have a timeline for getting that done no no we we just kind of expected it to be you know, like a quick thing, you know, a lot of people um, were for it. We got a lot of support. There was a lot of people like Victor Joseph himself walked up to the stand and was like, you know, you need to listen to these youth. This is urgent. And in our title is state of emergency. Like you'd think that that would click in their head that we just can't wait more years and years as our way of life is being threatened like every day. Mm -hmm. we can't keep waiting we need to take action right now especially with the elections coming up everything's so tricky and it's a crucial time like we can't wait anymore I can imagine that maybe you guys are feeling a little bit frustrated with your leadership I mean what what do you expect from them a year later to have established what was in the resolution and actually educate themselves on the issue. It's not just about hiring people that are an issue. I want our leaders to really understand. And I feel like a lot of them really do. It's just, it's hard when you're influenced by all these corporations and all this money and all these people telling you all this and that. And, you know, it does get overwhelming to think that, you know, nothing's going to be done. So it makes me want to work harder and work more. We need more of our actual people that have the power to do these things to step up to the plate and get things done. We can't just have our youth constantly working to get these things done. We need our leaders to listen to us, to help us get these things done. Hopefully, like with this new AFN coming up, we could get more on it and get more um, just pressure on them to also sit down and and really get that work done. When you say more pressure, what do you mean by that? Um, especially now with um, COVID-19 sort of creating this virtual convention this year and not being able to have these in-person conversations or have a couple thousand people in an audience listening to you make your case. Um, how do you think you'll put more pressure on your leadership at AFN this year? 
Well, it's all online, like you said, and it makes it difficult because you don't have that in-person sort of connection or you don't like you're not with someone. And so it is going to be difficult. And but I think like we we've gotten better over the course of the summer with the whole um, COVID and online. And so we could call them and just like attend all the Zoom meetings and send letters and I think something that we could have done too possibly is um, if they have, you know, this year, um, so everything's going to be virtual, which is going to be tricky, but, you know, I was thinking maybe, you know, if they're going to have, you know, open mics at some point, so like they can have people um, call in and maybe, you know, if they have questions or stuff, like, because, you know, they did have like an open mic tour, they could go up and ask their questions or you know, like um, during our resolution, you know, people would come up and put in their input on what they thought about our resolution. And um, I think, you know, this, even though it's going to be tricky, I think we shouldn't allow it to, uh, uh, we shouldn't allow them to not let our people still use our voice. And this is something that we still need to be able to use our voice in. Because um, this is a convention for like all of our people's opinions and you know um ways of life but like all of our people come together from all walks of life from everywhere and you know we listen to our people and I think that's what we need to continue to do you guys are like in that age group like you are the demographic that could figure out how to make a virtual statement you know um so are you kind of thinking about creative ways to speak up uh, since the convention is online and virtual this year? Um, I've always been really into like the creative stuff and like writing poetry. I was mainly, you know, painting artsy stuff, I suppose. Um, I was thinking about this last year, actually, at the end of the AFN where we could have like youth send in videos and it could be, um, it doesn't have to be long, but it's just a powerful- Making a sort statement. Of statement, yeah. That has a lot of support from around Alaska and our indigenous youth. And so that's something that, that I have. Cause you know, we wanted to include, um, you know, more youth in the resolution. That's why we wanted um, you know, it was perfect that Zoe and Allison were there um, while we we're doing the um, resolution workshop and stuff. Like, I'm glad we got to connect with them because they got to put in their, um, you know, their experiences in their community and what they're doing. You know, you, you your argument had a lot of response um, from the leadership that was positive last year. And so I'm kind of curious what you guys think the reasoning is for the lack of action on this resolution. Well, COVID happened and it's just been a crazy year all around, especially for our native communities. And, um, and it's been the corporations were leaving. Juan, do you want to add on that? Yeah, I feel like it was definitely the corporations were pulling out of AFN mm-hmm. because of our resolution. 
um, like Doyon and a few other ones. I can't remember their names, but I remember me and my mom were reading about it. And she was like, yeah, a lot of the corporations had pulled out of AFN because of your resolution because they support, you know, drilling, which is sad because, you know, we, as a people, we don't stand for that. And, you know, having our corporations represent us in a way that, you know, isn't who we are, what we stand for, it's, it's hard. Um, and I think that's why they've gotten pushback. But I think overall, we've gotten a lot of support and a lot of really good people that stood behind us and continue to support us. I just feel like AFN is just um, a little bit nervous because, you know, the lack of support they might be feeling, but I think it's more of, you know, we need to get rid of the capitalism in our native communities. We need to decolonize. And that starts with, you know, listening to the youth and the people and, um, you know, realize that we were stewards of the land and realize that you forget your ways, you know, you forget your ways of life and you forget and you lose your identity as a native person. And that for me is scary because, you know, that's why I fight and work so hard because, you know, it really helps keep me grounded in who I am. And, you know, we have lost so much as, um, you know, as an indigenous person, you know, through genocide and historical trauma, you know, we, you know, exactly as um, we were colonized, we can't afford to lose ourselves either, you know? Yeah. Do you guys have plans to submit another climate change related resolution this year or, or, or find a way to turn up the pressure a little bit at AFN this year? I think we should reinstate the climate resolution and like throw it out there again and be like, hey, you can't forget about this. Like it's been a year and you're trying to open up all these other resolutions, but you can't forget the one, you know, the ones, you know, from the year before and you can't forget that these were passed on the floor as well. Like that this resolution, you know, may have caused a debate, which is kind of never really happened before. No, it's never happened. Exactly. Um, yes. You know, it, does, it did rile it up, but, you know, it was the change we needed. It was the eye opener we needed. And I also think that our resolution, like it caused change. It was different and it's inspired a lot of other resolutions and a lot of other youth and elders and so I think that there's going to be more more climate resolutions happening this year and just sort of carrying carrying that on. That was producer Emily Schwing talking with Nana Edge Peter and Quana Rose Chasing Horse Pots about a climate change resolution they wrote and passed during the Alaska Federation of Natives convention in 2019. Music, dance, arts, cultural performances, and gatherings are highly anticipated events during AFN week. But due to COVID-19 health and safety concerns, those types of celebrations were enjoyed virtually by participants of the First Alaskans Elders and Youth Conference and the Alaska Federation of Natives Annual Convention. 
We also want to highlight some music this hour by sharing an encore of some fiddlers at the 2019 Elders and Youth Conference in Fairbanks. My name is Jerry Frank, Beanie Tie. Uh, I kind of started out late, but I, I kind of know what I'm doing. And a lot of them like my tune, so the more they like it, the more I want to play. And the more you play, the more better you get. But people enjoy it. People enjoy my music, so I like it. I make them smile, make them dance. Woo-wee! The way it goes. Music is good for you. And what is the connection or the history behind uh, fiddling and Alaska Native people? Well, fiddle was brought in from uh, the trappers, people that kind of came from, uh, I mean, come from Canada. So, uh, 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 a lot of it is just uh, from Scottish, uh, Virginia Reels and all that. A lot of it is all kind of together and they brought their music over to the uh, interior of Fort Yukon and everyone kind of picked it up from there and I started out playing guitar and then I played with the fiddlers and then it got me kind of inspired by the Hellerlies. Those people that play fiddle and they're all passed on so somebody has to take over and play for them and I, love, I like doing it. I mean, I, li I love all mixes of music. I love, you know, all kinds of music. And it's it's good for everyone. Everyone enjoys it. Like as we've seen it right now, everyone is out there on the floor and just putting it out. It's good. So all these, those of you like my age, come out here. Hurry up. And uh, slow dance. It don't take much to play, and, you know, just pick it up, fit it around, make your own music, and compose your own music. All, all my, my tunes are all, I built it myself, so I have, I, I don't read music, but I learn it on my own, so that's, you know, it, it's good for you. And how long have you been playing fiddle? I've been playing for 15, 20 years now. Like I said, I started out pretty late. I started out when I was like 40, late. So I'll be, I'm, I'm still playing, but you know, I'm, it's just, it's, it's what I like anyway, so that's why I play. So. And how is fiddling helping um, with communities and community? Yeah, it, um, it kind of get everybody together and friends and they all come together and uh, socialize with it and everybody is good to see everybody again. All the community participate in uh, the event, everybody dances, uh, they're enjoying it actually. And in, uh, in Fairbanks like this you get everybody together, a lot of friends I've never seen for a while and they're come and it's good to see them.
was Jerry Frank sharing music and teaching elders and youth about fiddle dancing at the 2019 Elders and Youth Conference. Let's turn now to another way people in interior Alaska and across the state celebrate, honor, and lift the spirits of one another. Singing, drumming, and dancing. Here are some voices from the 2019 Welcome to AFN Potlatch in Fairbanks, Alaska. Those were some community members from the interior at a potlatch welcoming people in 2019 for the Alaska Federation of Natives annual convention, which was held in Fairbanks. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to Alaska's Native Voice. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. AFN, Alaska's Native Voice, produced and directed by Antonia Gonzalez and Emily Schwing. Broadcast support provided by the Siri Foundation, Cook and Lit Lending Center, South Central Foundation, Calista Corporation, Manilik Association, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid, and Rasmussen Foundation. This is a production of KMBA, Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation, and Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Service.